1: Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED podcast too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.
2: From KQED. I'm Olivia Allen Price, and this is Bay Curious. We're starting today's episode in Oakland, Old Oakland to be precise. It's a small neighborhood, just a few square blocks right next door to the Oakland Convention Center. As its name suggests, walking around kind of feels like stepping into a time machine. Brick-lined sidewalks lead into cute shops and restaurants. And many of the buildings are beautiful old Victorians that can seem very out
1: of place. It's surrounded by highway, it's surrounded by the downtown, it's surrounded by Chinatown. This
2: is Spencer Barton, who lives just around the corner from Old Oakland.
1: It's sort of odd that you've got older buildings and what appear to be older businesses that still exist, I guess, in an area that I would have thought would have been maybe bulldozed and turned into skyscrapers. Spencer asked Bay Curious... Basically, what
2: the heck is Old Oakland doing here? We'll have that answer after the break. Stick around. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Reporter Ryan Levy takes a story from here.
1: To help us understand the history of Old Oakland, Spencer and I head to the neighborhood's heart, 9th Street and Washington.
3: Where we are right now is the downtown of Oakland in the 1870s. Annalee
1: Allen works with the city's Cultural Affairs Department. And she says in the mid-1800s, Oakland was just a small town across from booming San Francisco.
3: But once the railroad came through, then things really started to happen.
1: People came to California from all over the country on the Transcontinental Railroad and they disembarked in Oakland. Many of them were African-Americans, recently freed from slavery. It was an ideal place for families, Alan says, especially in comparison to cold and hilly San Francisco.
3: It was a place you could, on the weekends, if you wanted to stroll around and enjoy the fresh air and open space in an urban setting, you could do that in Oakland.
1: The city's population tripled from 1870 to 1880, and downtown Oakland built up to support this influx of new residents. Allen tells Spencer that department stores, bakeries, tailors, offices, liquor stores, markets, and more filled the storefronts of the grand Victorians that lined Washington Street and Broadway. It wasn't really a residential area. Like This really was sort of downtown Oakland. It was from the
3: standpoint that the ground floor were commercial, like you see it today. And so the upper floors were residential. The
1: 1906 earthquake and fires that devastated San Francisco brought even more people to Oakland. But as new residents poured into the city and its footprint grew, the center of town gradually moved further uptown along Broadway, leaving old Oakland behind.
3: You get the pawn shops coming in. You get the hotel rooms now become rooming houses and are less, you know, desirable to be in. And it just undergoes sort of the gradual decline that happens in a lot of places, 30s and 40s and 50s.
1: And then by the 60s, this area was largely considered Skid Row. And there weren't very many retail businesses on this street. Elena Durante is the owner of Rado's International Market in Old Oakland. Her great-grandfather opened the deli in 1897 and was one of the few spots that survived the neighborhood's decline in the mid-20th century.
3: So we still did a good business, but the neighborhood had gone downhill.
1: Even though it had seen better days, many of old Oakland's original buildings from the 19th century still remained. One writer in the 1970s described them as the most distinguished composition of late Victorian architecture west of the Mississippi.
4: And they caught the eye of a young architecture student
1: from UC Berkeley.
4: I remember very distinctly. It just burned an image into my brains. Glenn
1: Storick was in Oakland for a city planning assignment in the early 60s when he first saw what was then referred to
4: as Victorian Row. You know, San Francisco lost so much of its historical architecture after the earthquake and fire. So uh, to see this collection of buildings in Oakland, it was really uh, impressive to me.
1: About a decade
4: passes. At this
1: point, many of those gorgeous Victorians have been condemned and padlocked. Storick, by then a full-fledged architect focusing on historical rehabilitation, gets a call from a friend telling him that one of them is up
4: for sale. We looked at it pretty skeptically and and thought, you know... Maybe this is something that could be saved, and, and maybe we ought to just figure out a way to do it. So that, that's how it started. Later that year,
1: Stork and a different friend purchased another building across the street from the first. But they knew even if they restored these buildings, it would be hard to find commercial tenants who'd want to move into a neighborhood filled with condemned and decaying buildings.
4: We knew that we had to either get other property owners or the city eventually to uh, participate and save this neighborhood.
1: They went around to see if the other building owners would be interested in a restoration project.
4: They laughed at us. You know, they just said, "Who are you crazy?
1: At that time, it was a lot easier to destroy a neighborhood than to preserve it. This was the heyday of redevelopment or urban renewal projects. And it wasn't uncommon for cities and developers to level entire neighborhoods, which were often home to communities of color.
4: You could go into city hall for about 35 bucks, get a permit to demolish a building,
1: Storick feared the same thing would happen to the historic business district in Old
4: Oakland. The corner of 8th and Washington, there were three magnificent buildings. And in the course of our working, trying to put Old Oakland together, one by one, these buildings disappeared.
1: Storick partnered with city leaders, including the head of the redevelopment agency and the city's first black mayor, Lionel Wilson, to try and save the neighborhood but it wasn't a top priority.
4: I think it was 75 that we finally got something official from the city, from the redevelopment agency.
1: This meant Oakland could use eminent domain to buy the buildings and issue bonds to help pay for the project. Several of the businesses that were being bought out did push back, and it wasn't until the mid 80s, more than 20 years after Storick first visited Victorian Row, that all the original tenants had left and the restoration was able to begin in earnest.
4: Then it was full tilt. We were underway on every single building in Old Oakland.
1: The two original buildings they'd purchased more than a decade ago were the first to be restored and welcome new tenants.
4: The law firm, Goldfarb & Lipman, a company called Bevilacqua and Knight, Channel 4, K-R-O-N, opened up a East Bay News Bureau. They kept restoring more
1: buildings and securing more tenants, a bookstore, an Ethiopian restaurant, a brew pub. And just as they were starting to feel good, the ground began shifting beneath their
4: feet. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are going through an earthquake at this very moment, an earthquake that has been uh, rattling this studio and shaking the lights above us for almost a full minute now, and I can tell you in almost 20 20- We were at a meeting, uh, sitting in a conference table. And the building started to shake and shake and shake, and this loud roar seemed to sweep over the the whole area. It had that feeling like the world's coming unglued. But when they walked outside
1: fearing the worst from the massive Loma Prieta earthquake, they saw that all of Old Oakland was still standing. And in fact, not a broken window. Even though the buildings had survived, finding enough money to continue with the restorations was a struggle. And in 1990, when the bank helping to fund the project called in its loan, Stork didn't have the money.
4: We couldn't survive that, and so the Oakland project fell into bankruptcy.
1: Now this wasn't the end of old Oakland. The bank took over and eventually sold the project to a new developer in 2001. Progress was slow, but over the past few years, things have picked up. And Old Oakland is thriving now. It's got trendy stores, restaurants, and coffee shops. A popular farmer's market fills the street every Friday. There's even a Steph Curry pop-up store. But none of that might have happened if Glenn Storick hadn't stumbled upon those forgotten Victorians more
4: than 50 years ago. I'm absolutely convinced that in probably a year or two, you would have seen this just uh, bare, bare land, vacant lots.
2: That story was recorded by Ryan Levy. A big thanks to Spencer Barton, who wrote in with today's question. This is the part of the podcast where I sometimes try and convince you to sign up for the Bay Curious newsletter at baycurious.org newsletter. And today I'm going to get an assist from our voicemail.
0: Hi,
1: my name is Mohammed Susay and I live in Oakland. And My favorite thing about the Bay Curious newsletter is the trivia section, even though I always get it wrong because I'm new to the Bay Area.
2: The trivia is really not easy, so don't beat yourself up too much, Mohammed. But thanks for the voicemail. We've got a Bay Curious water bottle in the mail for you. Now, one more time, for the people in the back, sign up at baycurious.org newsletter. I'm Olivia Allen Price.
1: Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at KQED. Bye.
0: Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just